you are probably thinking, well, that's not Dr. Myers. What's going on? Because he was just up here. But if you noticed, he, he didn't sing this morning. And uh, so I got, I got the call that every pastor dreads. <laughs> hey, I don't have a voice. <laughs> so um, so you, you get me this morning. Hey. Um, and, and as I like to say, adjust your expectations accordingly. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, um, we've got, uh, a rose here this morning, which at FBC Seymour means new life. So, uh, the rose this morning is in honor of Graham Wilder McAdams, born July 13th to, uh, well, uh, his grandparents are uh, Gary and Melissa McAdams, so congratulations to the new grandparents. (laughs) Yay! Well, as uh, we kind of reset here, um, let's go to the Lord in prayer once again. Lord, we... We desperately need you this morning, and we pray that um, as we look into your word, you would would open our eyes and open our hearts and transform us into the kinds of people and citizens that you desire us to be. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. So, if I were to ask you the question, what does it mean to be a good citizen? One Southern California newspaper asked a group of sixth graders to answer this question, and uh, amazingly, uh, a, a sixth grader came up with this response, if you can believe it. To be a good citizen anywhere, you have to be a good person. That means showing respect, having a good attitude, or just helping out. In the classroom, you have to show responsibility by doing your homework on time or listening and following directions. Also, you have to help out your other classmates. Another example is in your community. Don't just throw trash in the street, find a trash can and use it. Make sure that you're not bothering anybody while messing around or playing at the park. At home, you should do your chores and always listen to your parents. Remember the kids. Uh, Don't just think that if you are at home, you can break the rules because the same rules should apply everywhere. Now, I'm wondering if uh, Chad Lagana, grade 6, got a little bit of help from his parents on some of those answers. But... I digress. Um, Or perhaps uh, when we think about being a good citizen, we could consider uh, a variety of perspectives from American history. Uh, Andrew Jackson said, Every good citizen makes his country's honor his own and cherishes it 
not only as precious but as sacred. He is willing to risk his life in its defense and its conscience and, uh, that, that he gains protection while he gives it. Or perhaps Theodore Roosevelt, the first requisite of a good citizen in this republic of ours. You can just hear the presidential tone, can't you? The first requisite of a good citizen in this republic of ours is that he shall be able and willing to pull his own weight. Or maybe Thomas Jefferson. Every citizen should be a soldier. This was the case with the Greeks and the Romans and must be that of every free state. Or from a completely different perspective, Henry David Thoreau. If a man walks in the woods for the love of them half of each day... He is in danger of being regarded as a loafer, but if he spends his days as a speculator, shearing off those woods and making the earth bald before her time, he is deemed an industrious and enterprising citizen. Or perhaps we might consider the perspective of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This morning, as we look at the book of Philippians, chapter 1, we're going to see that as citizens of heaven... We are called to live worthy of the gospel. And so I'd invite you to turn with me to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. And I'm going to read, starting in verse 27. And the Apostle Paul says this, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, when I, whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you were going through the same struggles you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. As citizens of heaven, we are called to live lives worthy of the gospel. But what does that mean? What does it mean to live a life that's worthy of the gospel? And Paul gives us, Uh, A few things in this short passage, and we're going to kind of branch out into other parts of Philippians. But first, a worthy life is gospel-focused. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul, Paul gave an example to the church that was laser focused on the advance of the gospel. If we look earlier in Philippians 
at verse 12. He says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Paul was in prison. And yet he says, What is happening to me, though it looks bad, is serving to advance the gospel. As a result, he says, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, hear this, most of the brothers and sisters have become more confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. That is to say, because Paul was in chains... The church had more confidence to share the news, the good news of the gospel with those around them. And he says in verse 15, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. You see, to Paul, the gospel was the most important thing. In 1 Corinthians 15, he he tells the church, I want to remind you of the matters of first importance. And what are those? First of all, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. These are the center of everything that we do. They are the center of the message that we share. They are, they are central to everything that we are as, as believers in Christ. And Paul says, don't forget it. It's so easy for us to get distracted by musical styles, or by political ideologies, or by whatever else is happening in the culture, and we forget that Jesus Christ and Him crucified is the thing that is going to change the world. It's, the th- it, it's literally the message that we have to share. And it's literally that message that God, by His Spirit, uses to transform our hearts and the hearts of the world around us. A worthy life is gospel-focused. One commentator says this, he says, Christians then are to adopt a way of life that is in keeping with their corporate citizenship as constituted in Christ and the gospel. 
against the colonial preoccupation with the coveted citizenship of Rome, Paul interposes a counter-citizenship whose capital and seat of power are not earthly, but heavenly, whose guarantor is not Nero, but Christ. Philippi may be a colony enjoying the personal imperial patronage of Lord Caesar, but the church at Philippi is a personal colony of Christ the Lord above all. The exercise of their common citizenship, therefore, must be worthy of his gospel, which is, as it were, the constitution of that kingdom. Brothers and sisters, we, we are Americans, and it is, it is a privilege to be in American citizenship. I thank God for this country that we live in, where we have the freedom to do this every Sunday morning without fear. But our primary citizenship as Christians is in the, the kingdom of God. Our primary citizenship is under the lordship of King Jesus. And we must not forget that. A worthy life is focused on the gospel. But a worthy life is also united with other believers. Look at verse 27. He says, Whether I come and see you or hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Striving together as one. There's a unity implied there. A worthy life is unified with other believers. We... We can't do this Christian life thing on our own. We need each other. And we need to, to put aside those things that divide us and come together under the banner of King Jesus to share his love and mercy and grace with the world around us. He says, I, I will know that you, are, that you stand firm in the one spirit. Surely he has the Holy Spirit in mind here. The spirit that indwells each of us as believers. The spirit that we receive when we come to Christ. The spirit that unites us. And the, the spirit that can change our hearts to become the people that God is calling us to be.
He talks about striving side by side. And this is the, the, the word in the Greek has, has the idea of teamwork. The teamwork of athletes or soldiers. It's at the heart of winning teams. Stephen Ambrose in his book, Comrades, which includes the story of Lewis and Clark, describes this at this as the secret of their epic accomplishments. He says, what Lewis and Clark had done, first of all, was to demonstrate that there is nothing that people cannot do if they get themselves together and act as a team. And with that teamwork, they took the West. Paul knew that the success of the church in Philippi depended on such teamwork. But, of course, the stakes were far higher than the exploration of the American West. It was the faith of the gospel. It was the faith. It spread and growth everywhere for which Paul was spending and being spent. And which he encourages the church to be be a team. Work together. So often, we've got, we've got our little ideas uh, about what needs to happen. And we're so tied to our own ideas that we miss the big picture of what God wants to do. So we need to come together. As teammates, as fellow believers, as brothers and sisters in the family of God. When we do that, the impact will be so much greater. The best ideas will come to the surface. When we put our egos aside... When we put our desire for power and control aside. And we do everything for the advance of the gospel in Seymour, Indiana and beyond. A worthy life is united with other believers. A worthy life while we're while we're united with other believers in our actions, we also need to be united in our focus on the one who we follow. Look at chapter 2. He says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing 
out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, the one that we follow took the form of a servant. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was serving his disciples. He wrapped himself in a towel. He washed their feet. This is the kind of God, the kind of king that we follow, who calls us to serve our brothers and sisters and the world around us. But our ego wants to be noticed. Our ego wants to be in charge. Our ego wants to say, look at me. When instead, everything that we do should say, look at him. We unite with other believers in the work. We unite with other believers in our focus on Jesus. And we unite with other believers in service to the world around us. Whether they care about us or not, whether they notice us or not, whether we get the credit or not, the focus is on God and what he is doing and what he can do in their lives. There is a world out there that is dying. They don't know why. Or maybe they do. But the message is the same. We all need Jesus. And if we don't tell them Who's going to?
A worthy life is gospel-focused. A worthy life is united with other believers. Third, a worthy life is courageous. Verse 28. Paul says, I will know that you stand firm, verse 28, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Now, some of us can remember, um, at least for those of us who are, are adults now, uh, can remember when we were in high school or college and played on various sports teams, and when we stepped onto the basketball court or whatever sport you may have played against daunting opponents. And we tried our best to look cool and unintimidated, hoping that 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 would be a sign of the other team's destruction and our victory. But, of, of course, our opponents had the same nonchalance and cool, right? Uh, the, the bottom line was it didn't make a whole lot of difference because as the event progressed, they found out what we had or perhaps what we didn't have. But in Philippi, it wasn't a game. The stakes were more than just a win or a loss. The opponents in Philippi came from the ranks of the Roman establishment who despised the believers' unromanness. And it came from those who found the lives of the Philippians to be rebukes to their pagan way of life. Together, these meant that the threat of violence was always there and was sometimes activated. I mean, Paul's in prison, right? This is a real thing. Certainly, this was something to naturally fear. But Paul tells the Philippians to not be frightened in anything by their opponents. How can they not be afraid? The word used here is is a rare Greek word that was employed elsewhere for startling horses into a stampede. He says, don't panic. It's a panic reaction. Don't panic. Keep your head. You're a citizen of heaven. God is in control. You don't need to be intimidated. You don't need to be afraid. But how often do we look at what's happening in the world and our first reaction is fear and panic? And that fear and panic causes us to do things that at best make us look bad and at worst are so hateful and unchristian because we are fighting back when we should be having confidence in God who is in control.
Paul says, don't panic. When things look like they might be going in, in the opposite direction of where you want them to go, don't panic. God's still in control. And yet we try and, and grab on and, and control the situation in the way that we want. Instead of showing love and grace and mercy to the world around us, to our opponents, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, by your love. But too often, we're so full of panic that we don't have any love to give. We don't have any grace to give. We don't have any mercy to give because we are so full of fear. And when the world looks at us, they don't see the things of Jesus that would be attractive to them. All they see is stuff that they don't want to be associated with. Now, I'm not saying that we don't call sin, sin. But what I am saying is that we, we got to stop being so afraid and acting out of fear rather than love and intentionally going out of our way to show love and grace for those who disagree with us, who are on the opposite side of pretty much every issue that you can, can name. We've come to a point in our culture where we just demonize the other side. And we live, at least in, in our social media world, we live in this echo chamber that constantly makes things out to be worse than they are because they feed on our panic. And that's exactly what Paul is saying right here not to do. He says, be courageous. Be courageous in living a life worthy of the gospel, full of love and grace and mercy and compassion, just like Jesus did. A worthy life is gospel-focused. It's united with other believers 
It's courageous. And then finally, we come to the part that perhaps we might not like. A worthy life experiences the grace of suffering. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Did, did, did you catch the wording there? It has been granted to you to suffer for him. Like, just as your salvation, your believing in Jesus is a gracious gift, suffering for the name of Jesus is a gracious gift. Boy, that's so un American. We want every possible comfort. And in a lot of ways, we have it, right? Like, we, we've got the air conditioning in our houses that keeps it just the right temperature. Or heat in the winter. If I'm hungry, I've got... All kinds of places that I can go eat. Or I can pull out my phone. And in 15 minutes, DoorDash will have it here for me. <laughs> Suffering is not an American category. And yet Paul says... It's a gracious gift when you experience suffering. When, when we live like Jesus, when we show the love and the grace and the mercy that he did, and we suffer for that, it feels like it shouldn't be, but that's a good thing. It increases our dependence on God. It forces us to rely on him. Because let's face it, when, when we're suffering... It's usually because of things outside of our control, right? We don't want to bring suffering on ourselves. And when we do suffer, in a lot of ways, it's like there's nothing we can do about it. And those are the times that we reach out to God, just like the hymn I was playing during gathering music, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. Bless me, my Savior. I come to thee.
the disciples and apostles, they understood this. If you look at Acts chapter 5, verses 41 and 42, it says this, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that, that the Christ is Jesus. They went away rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer. And why would they think any differently? Their master suffered. They had seen him crucified. Notice they rejoiced, but they didn't stop. And every day, it says in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. And so, come what may, whatever suffering we might experience, we can't stop. We must be like the apostles that says, the love of Christ compels us. To reach out to a hurting world, to a broken world, to a world that desperately needs the message that we have to share. And they desperately need the love that we have to give. That's the kind of thing that we can unite around. Under the banner of King Jesus... Not to create a kingdom that we control here on earth, but to expand the kingdom of heaven by getting as many people into it as we possibly can. And so, as we've seen, a worthy life is gospel-focused. It's united with other believers. It's courageous. It experiences the grace of of suffering as citizens of heaven brothers and sisters let's live lives worthy of the gospel let's pray father we thank you we thank you for the amazing message of the gospel we thank you that when we were dead 
in our trespasses and sins. You made us alive by your Spirit. We pray that you would unite our hearts. That you would fill us with your love and compassion to the world around us. As we focus our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Help us to unite under his banner for his glory, for the good of the world around us. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name.